Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Countryside. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermood. This week, you went up north, Kiri, to speak to Alan T and Rachel Ranson and uh, have a look around at their new adventure. And a year into it now, and uh, they're busier, I think, than they ever thought they'd be in their first year. Oh, they really are. And I, I did ask them how they're managing to farm and to run the butchery side of it, but they're managing and... Obviously, they got the award for the best livestock and crop farm in the 200 to 500 section at the show. So, obviously, their agricultural side still going equally as well as the prizes that they're getting for the Balakelly meats as well. Mm, it is. And I uh, talk wheat, uh, the milling wheat grown by, uh, particularly this time, Robert Morrie from uh, Balakorian Brost Farm up north of the Isle of Man. Uh, spoke to him about uh, where they're venturing on their farm uh, up the north and also uh, how the harvest went uh, this year with the milling wheat, whether the weather affected much and, of course, the important thing with the milling wheat, the, the quality of it uh, as much as the quantity. And also uh, I spoke to Colin Knifton, who's the chairman of the Laxagon Flour Mill, uh, over 150-odd years they've been uh, going down there in the little mill at Laxey, of course, down uh, where it uh, was was low down in that valley because, of course, it was all driven by water then. I think that's why it was all down in there. And he tells me how, how things are struggling on at the mill and uh, also how much of the mill and wheat they'd had delivered so far uh, into there to convert into the flour. So here we are. Uh, sit back and listen to this week's Countryside. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, have you got your combine out, Kiri, yet? <laughs> Not quite, but it's just around the corner. Yeah, well, lots of combine has been happening up the sunny north, of course. <laughs> and I can tell you that Robert Morrie, he's done all his harvesting for this year, particularly the uh, the wheat, the mill and wheat. Uh, we'll speak to him later in the programme. But first of all, I spoke to Colin Knifton, who's the chairman of the Laxey Glen Flour Mills, to find out how much of the wheat they'd had in so far. This year's harvest is well underway, and the uh, first loads of wheat have been arriving in the last few days so uh, everybody's got their fingers crossed that uh, the weather will hold out and uh, at the moment uh, it looks as if the harvest is going to be okay so uh, I think most people are quite content. The farmers that do supply the, the milling wheat to, to Laxagon Mills I suppose it's been the same ones over a number of years and I suppose they're, they're sort of well versed on what you need really aren't they? Yeah it's uh, pretty well regulated unfortunately for the last few years our sales have declined a little bit and that meant that obviously we've had to reduce our intake of milling wheat but basically we have 12 wheat producers mainly in the north of the island there's actually 10 families but there's a couple who have both father and son so we have 12 producers and we contract with each of those 12 annually for the supply of wheat which is around about 2,000 tonnes of wheat that we take in each year and from that we produce about 1,500 tonnes of flour. Is the milling process something that goes on all year round or is it sort of when the harvest comes in you just do all the flour then? No, we store the, uh, the wheat and then the milling process takes place around the year so um, that, that's an ongoing process. Over the last year, we've also been looking at some new ideas. Last year, we did a crop of rye. People who watch the uh, Countryfile programme on BBC perhaps will have re- uh, seen that uh, taking place, and the outcome of that was pretty positive. 
So that was a, a, a positive thing for the mill and also for the growers. And we did that in conjunction with uh, Noah Bakehouse. And we're, at the moment, we're experimenting with one or two other ideas that were uh, on the drawing board to see if we can keep coming up with opportunities to differentiate our products from the other types of flour that you might see on the, uh, on the supermarket shelves. Obviously, we're a very small producer. The majority of our outputs go to Ramsey Bakery. As Ramsey Bakery's requirements have gone down slightly in over the last few years because of competition that they have from imported bread that you see in the supermarkets, then obviously their requirement for flour is going down. So it's something that we're still very reliant on Ramsey Bakery, but we are doing everything we can to uh, differentiate ourselves and come up with a range of products, which means that we, we reduce that reliance on one particular customer. That's it. I always remember as a kid, and we still have it in our cupboards, the Laxey Glen Mills flour. I mean, why is the sales of, of just the self-raised and plain flowers and things gone down? They haven't gone down a great deal. They, they've held reasonably constant, but there are obviously, you look at like cheese or sausages or anything else that we produce locally, there's always an imported equivalent. And often that is at a cheaper price than what we are able to produce at because of the scale in which we're working. However, we do always believe that the quality of the products that we produce is often much higher than the, the cheaper alternatives. And certainly with the flour, it's a very pure flour. We don't have many of the additives that you would get in imported flour, but it normally retails at a slightly higher price. But we are now looking at, we're about to have a, a new uh, rebranding of the uh, retail bags. They will have on it the food provenance logo, which uh, the government has been rolling out recently. And of course, we're very proud of the fact that recently we won at the, the Great Taste Awards that we had, I think, seven of our range of products actually won awards, really? um, which was a great achievement for such a small organization. So obviously, by the experts are judging our products to be extremely good quality, we will continue to market them and um, push them out as, a, as, as aggressively as we can. We do have a problem in so much as the staff numbers have reduced at the mill in recent times. There's six guys actually now working on the production side, plus Lisa in the office and Sandra, the mill manager. So it doesn't give us a lot of opportunity to be out there pushing our products. But we are discussing at the moment with a, a, another organisation an opportunity to do some sales support for us, which will perhaps be uh, resulting, well, we hope it's going to result in making our products more aware um, on the shelves so that customers actually see full shelves and uh, make sure that we're maximising every opportunity to push the retail side of things as well as the wholesale flour that we do to the likes of the major bakers. Does much of the flour on the Alamand go away exported? No, uh, previous regimes have looked at opportunities to export flour. Unfortunately, it's quite a cheap item to, to buy, and yet it's quite bulky, so it makes it expensive to ship it away. So whilst I'm aware that previous regimes have tried to sell flour off the island, it's never really paid off financially. And at the moment, we are really focusing on trying to maximise our, our local sales. 
we hope that that's going to bear some fruit over the next 12 months or so. It'll be a pick of age on the mill. Is she still in pretty good condition? Well, it's a very old building. Obviously, it was uh, we celebrated the 150th anniversary uh, a few years ago, and uh, it was Captain Rowe, who the uh, enterprising guy who built the Laxey Wheel. He was responsible for the original construction of the mill. Of course, originally it was water-powered, which is why it's down at the bottom of the valley there, uh, alongside the river. But it is an old building and it needs a, a lot of um, maintenance and uh, the staff do a fantastic job in making do and mending uh, and keeping the place going. But um, you do look around and you see every time you go down, there are areas where if we had a, uh, some spare money, there's lots of ways in which it could be spent. But we only do the maintenance that's necessary to, to keep things going and obviously to comply with all the modern hygiene and uh, health and safety requirements that a, a modern processing plant has to have. But in terms of the appearance of the bill, it certainly could do with a little bit of uh, TLC, I think. But it's a fairly unique building, isn't it? It was a shame to see that not used. It would be, and uh, obviously we're going to do everything we can to ensure that the uh, that the mill returns to profitability. It's been uh, we've recorded losses for uh, several years now. We need to be careful that we don't allow things to drift to such an extent that it suddenly requires a significant uh, investment by the shareholders which obviously is, is the treasury on behalf of government who own it and we, we want to avoid that because there's no guarantee that uh, such funds would be forthcoming if we needed them so I think the management are quite clear that uh, we need to do everything we can to return the mill to profitability we've put some plans in place over the last few months to uh, to make that happen and we'll be obviously monitoring that situation and seeing the plan come to fruition over the next couple of years. Colin Knifton, chairman of the Laxey Glen Flour Mills. And uh, difficult times, Kerry, isn't it? Even for the flour, the, the ongoing effects of imports and everything, even affecting that side of it, which not as many people buying the bread, not as much flour getting used in the mill, so in turn not as taking as much wheat from the farmers. Yeah. It is. It is very difficult, but we have got a lot of local people wanting to buy Manx, which is always reassuring, and it's just getting confidence in people to to buy the best and buy local. Yes, and you know, you you think uh, it's just something part, like I said in there when I started Colin, uh, when we were kids, the flavour flower, you know, the Laxey Glen Mills, and it, it, plain because it's plain flour in the plain sort of packaging but I always remember seeing that as can be and brings back memories and then um, you've been down to the flour mills recently not for a long yeah. time well you see them little uh, vents on the top with the weather vanes on them oh, and wow. they're, they're vents you know for, for the air and they move around with the wind you know, to depend on the wind direction, and there's always a bit of sort of war of the worlds about them to me. But, but it's lovely that they're re- you know keeping it going and it's so well kept in Laxey and and such a traditional mill as well, isn't it? And mm. uh, local. Yeah, over 150 years scratching wow. along, so not bad. Not quite been going that long. Uh, <laughs> it's the Balakelly Farms, Kerry. That's right. Um, I caught up with Rachel Ranson and Alan Tia from Balakelly to see how their first year has gone producing their own pigs to sausages and, and their butchery shops and uh, I caught up with them to see how things are. It's been huge. The last year we've been selling our produce directly to the public but it's only really since September last year that we've been making it ourselves from scratch. So it literally is delivered here, reared here, 
goes to the meat plant and then we turn it into what you guys eat. So it's the whole thing. So what made you change? Why did you want to sell your own produce? About a year ago, we realised that we were losing quite a lot of money by just being a farmer. And so we looked into it to see what other ways we could make money. We approached other people who manufacture the meat to see if we could join in teams. And no one really came forward. And so it was either get rid of the pigs or do something else. So we decided to try our own bacon and sausage. Alan went away for four weeks to a friend's farm in Wales. They have a abattoir farm shop right from the farm yeah. all the way through all the different processes and came back really sort of raring to go. So, But you've won an array of awards at the Royal Manx Show. How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> the Royal was amazing because we got awards sort of across all different areas. You know, like Alice was showing different animals and she won awards with those, right up to winning the best farm two to 500 acres, which to us is as important as winning the Small Produce Award, which was within the actual food tent we were in. There was different panels of judges going around, kind of undercover really, and looking at your customer service, your branding, and then the products that you were offering. We had tasters going, and I think that yeah. always helps people sort of smell it and taste it, and then often they buy it. So yeah, so we've not you know, only won awards for our actual food, we've won awards for our farm, which as we've discovered is the key to this. You obviously won 15 awards as well. What were they for? These are the Taste Awards, which is a UK competition, and it's judged by panels of chefs and food critics, and it really is like a prestigious award yeah. to win. What's lovely is if you look at the judges' comments, a lot of them are, you can tell it's a well-reared pork, you can tell the lambs eating nice grass. It's all coming back to the fact that it's been farmed well. And people like that side of things. They don't like food miles anymore. They want to know about their animals. They want to know what, what they're eating. It is important. There's so many health benefits with British or Manx local produce, isn't there? Yeah, and this is what we've sort of discovered is we keep saying to people like, oh, you know, we can deliver it to you. We're passing, you know, laxi all the time. They're like, oh, no, I like coming to the farm on a Saturday morning. I like chatting to Alan. And what they're seeking is this kind of something new, which is like we call it farmer to fork, not field to fork. It's actually farmer to fork. So, Alan, so you're still obviously flat out on the farm as well as being here in the butchery shop. We hold on by the skin of our teeth. Yeah. No matter what happens in here, there's a farm that has to be run outside. So we give that as much of the time as we can and try and split it between the two. But we have Peter Tier and Miles Rouse that are damn good workers, so they make sure everything's fed. We get a loop round of it when we can. As long as the fences are up and they're still in the fields, we're halfway there. But do you find people are really interested in what you're actually doing on the farm? They are, yeah. We take it for granted. And what we think is just kind of run-of-the-mill. People say, that's really great. You think, well, it's just a pig in a hut with a load of straw. Because that's what we see all the time. But, yeah. There's so many scaremongering stories out there. To see them here firsthand and then see the products that come off it, it must be a really good selling point. Yeah, it is a good selling point. Especially, we do still have pig crates. But our sows will only take maybe three or four days before they farrow, they'll go into a crate. And if all goes according to plan, within a week they'll be out of that crate and into an individual hut. So we've got the best of both worlds. So have you kept the numbers steadily increasing or with this side of things? How, how do you manage to plan what your shop needs and, and what the farm can cope with? Well, we produce quite a lot of pork. We'll put in sometimes two to two and a half tonne of finished pork every week. We'll take back whatever pork we want. So if we send off 30 a week, we'll mark the ones that we want and they come back. We usually know what's coming in and out on an average week and we always keep that one pig, maybe two pigs hung in the big fridge spare. We grow a set amount of cereal 
and all I do now is the cattle will have some of that. Whatever's left, we finish our pigs on, so we can still grow about three to four hundred ton of barley. But we set it at that. We don't. We try not to buy any more in nowadays. Whereas we did before, it's not worth buying it in now, so we probably don't buy in another three or four hundred. Obviously, you're doing the, the pork, and it seems to be the busy side of it with the bacon, the sausages, and everything that goes with. How do you manage with the lamb and the beef as well? It's done me the world a good cutting lamb up and cutting beef up. The reason being is I see something that leaves the farm at 42 kilos. All of a sudden, it comes back at 21 to 22 kilos. You don't want anything lower than an R grade because you want that big eye and a chop. The trouble then is, I know the actual production cost of that lamb, not what the meat plant give you for that lamb. So you might be able to buy that lamb from the meat plant for, say, 85, but I know for a fact that it's cost me 95 plus. So all of a sudden, you took a lot of the bone out and you're left with what? Two legs, two front shoulders, a bit of skirt, chumps, chops, and that's it. That's all you've got. That's why lamb is expensive. But Rachel, you're in charge of the marketing side of it. You've got, you've got a, really, a really great Facebook page. It's so colourful and bright and it's really attractive. These are your ideas, I imagine. Yeah, um, this is the side that I really enjoy. We used MMC right in the beginning, supported by the government for the sort of original, what they call your sort of artwork and colour palettes and things like that. And then that allowed us to have a base for our branding. And then once you've got that, it's about using it and getting it on. And everyone laughs because if we have a photograph in the paper, you can tell it's Bella Kelly. You can see our branding. It's on our jumpers. And that's the bit that I enjoy. And it seems to work really well. And everyone says the cartoon characters make everyone feel like the animals are all huggy and skippy and happy. And instead of it being about death and blood yeah. and what people can often associate with butchery and things like that. Well, that's it. It's, it's reinventing it, isn't it? And, and the use of colours and the, the Facebook page is really attractive. You've also got a website now that's nearly up and running to buy online. Yes, we have. A very close. Karen Staley's behind our website. He's been an absolute gem. And Gemma, she is currently on maternity with her new little baby girl. But she's also been brilliant because she's come from a marketing corporate background. So when she puts posts up or does as a press release, it's very professional because she's come from a professional world. Yeah. Things like that really help because you kind of come forward as... So yeah, so the new farm shop, it's going to be very much sort of stay with us guys until we find out all the teething problems and the best way to do things. Because what's hard with meat is they don't come out like tyres and price is based on weight so it's going to be a lot of the case of you can order it online, it'll send me an email, but then we'll confirm prices back to you and confirm whether they got the products and things like that. So you can't just buy it straight away and it gets delivered to your door because it's yeah. quite hard to do that. It's easy with sausage and bacon and things. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. joints are obviously size dependent. That was Alan Tia and Rachel Ranson from Bala Kelly Farm. Yes, great. Uh, not just them, but lots of people trying to uh, make go. We heard about uh, diversification on last week's programme, didn't we, with the, with the mash and things like that. And it uh, really is great that they're, they're there trying to make something different about it. And the, the taste's just great. They are. The, I got to take some sausages home and they were the absolutely lovely. <laughs> not the kipper ones, but it's nice to see when, when the business isn't going so great that they've got the ability to change and develop into something else and and going down this road for now is really, really good for them. Yeah, you've got some Luke's carrying the old kipper sausages in your bag walking <laughs> past people. <laughs> Manx Radio Podcasts. 
powered by Shaw. Well, earlier in the programme, we heard how things were at the Laxey Glen Flour Mill from the chairman of the board, Colin Knifton. Well, I went along to speak to one of the farmers who produces mill and wheat that supplies the mill to make their flour. It was Robert Murray from Ballacory and Brost Farm in Andreas. And I first of all asked him how the harvest had been this year. Catchy, I would say. Not, not, not horrendous far from horrendous but uh, it's been a bit trying should I say that's the easiest way of putting it is that is that weather wise yeah totally weather wise uh, the trouble is with the likes of the wheat it needs it needs ideally a couple of days to dry out after torrential rain to bring moisture down to something like otherwise it's costing you an absolute fortune to dry it yeah, and that's one of the things people don't realize isn't it you know if it's been uh, quite a bad batch of rain that we've had you can't go in and combine it as soon as it stops raining can you no you can't mm. and also you've also got to remember like with this milling wheat it will actually denigrate and get you know the quality of it will disappear with too much rain so it's a catch-22 you've got to go when it's reasonably dry to cut it but obviously the moisture contents of it will be quite high and then you've got expensive drying costs what about the amount of wheat that you're growing this year compared to other years the mill and wheat it'll be slightly down because the mill aren't taking quite the quantities you know ramsey bakery aren't selling the amount of bread they were maybe quite due to imports and supermarkets but it's similar you know we've grown a similar amount of wheat probably for the last 10 years something like that not so much the yield that's interested in in the mill and wheat is it is a lot to do with the quality it's total quality mm. obviously yield helps because if you get yield the more you can get off it obviously the more profit you'll make but it is totally you know you, you can't just put any wheat into the mill it has to have a certain protein it also have what they have a, a certain hagberg level of falling number which gives the amount of the amount of sugar or lack of sugar in the wheat now if if there is too much sugar it won't rise and obviously it won't make bread so you have to have the right hagbergs and basically it's only when the the germ of the wheat starts to actually germinate and sprout that's when the hagberg falling numbers fall down and obviously wet weather brings that on you keep a certain amount for for your own seed or is it best to import a bit of it you know to keep the quality high we've done both simon to be honest with you i think We've kept a certain amount purely from an economic point of view because as margins have got tighter and tighter and tighter, you're looking at every way you can to shave costs. How are we going to carry on shaving costs? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I suppose one of the things is um, in the profit. I mean, how much is a combine this day and age? That will need replacing £100,000 or something like that. 100000 might buy you a five to ten year old machine and you want to be really oh you'd be two, you'd be two hundred and fifty thousand three hundred thousand for a, a new one and on our scale take a bit of wheat sold to, to get that back wouldn't it more than we grow a lot more than we grow what about away from the mill and wheat i mean you've got a fair bit of arable land here i mean be growing any other cereals we grow milling oats which are shipped to one flake and crew we've grown those for a few years but the problem with those is if anything, is the shipping costs. It's just, it makes it very, very sort of on the borderline whether we make a lot of profit out of them. It's nice, and don't get me wrong, from an Isle of Man point of view, it's a nice export, but there are no big profit in them at all. Far from it. So, and, and that's been the true, you know, we've had peas, beans, other things grown in the past. And up in the UK, they've got this greening legislation where they've got to have a three-year break. And so there's an awful lot, this is European legislation, so obviously there's... You know, a lot of peas and beans have gone into the onto the UK market, flooded the market, and hence prices have plummeted. Well, by the time you take your shipping out of them, 
there's nothing in them so we've pulled out and hence we had to look for another break crop so we've ended up putting a lot more down to grass. All right what was the idea of the grass side of it so you got a good market for that one? Yeah we grow quite a lot of red clover. And what's the red clover used for? It's high protein obviously high quality feed which tends to go to the dairy herd so we tend you know we sell quite a lot of silage off that and then we've got a bit of we've got other grasses as well and obviously with the Obviously, the equine business we've got here, we, we need a, a fair amount of hay and haylage for ourselves. And also, we tend to sell a bit as well. That's an expanding market, really. Well, we're leaning over a beautiful new training arena here <laughs> at Balakori. It uh, looks absolutely fantastic. And is this something that seems to be expanding this? Is, is it going all right, that side of it? Yeah, we've had to put the school in purely and simply because most establishments have got them now without it you just wouldn't get the punters like we've got horse tracks right round the farms as well so for people hacking there's probably about seven miles out there in total but and i thought when we did the job you know when we when we developed this it would be yeah hacking would be the be all and end all but still people need a school to train in as well and what's been the attraction now you've gone to this side of it i mean there's You've got the stables here, obviously, where people can keep them and do a bit on the, the horses yourself? <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> uh, my daughter does, and uh, obviously my wife, they're both fairly keen on horses, but it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, you've gone from it being a hobby to a business. Yeah, I only stand back and watch them, but I think they do a reasonably good job at it. Yeah. What, what's the advantage of them coming here on your side? It? Obviously the stables, things like that? Yeah, I just think it's a nice place to be. They've, they've got everything here, haven't they, really? Like I said, from a point of view of hacking, they can they don't have to go on a road. You know, they can go out, there's, there's margins around all the fields. So That'll be attractive to people with younger kids, I suppose. It is, it's younger people and older people, anyone with a nervous disposition as well. It's it's just safe out there, really, for Simon. The horse, I mean, is, is it something you've got to do, really? It's, it seems to me that you're investing money in this sort of thing uh, rather than the farm side of it. Well, not entirely. Well, I think you're right. I think it's diversification, isn't it? It's, you know, we've gone down this route, you've other... You've had other farmers that have maybe gone for campsites or holiday cottages or, you know, whatever. And, you know, you've even seen some farmers, they're diversifying into sort of selling their own meats, etc. So it's something you have to do. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do in the real world. You know, sort of when I was a kid, you wouldn't have even thought you'd have to do this. But, you know, that is the state of the industry as we speak. Robert Murray from Ballacory and Brost Farm in the north of the Isle of Man telling us about the harvest and also diversification into the equestrian world as well, you know, to uh, uh, try and make things going and uh, saying there, it's tough enough and everyone in agriculture knows that and looking for something different so I suppose you've got to capitalise on, on what you can do and what you've got space and the facilities for, isn't it? Well that's it and um, it's nice that people want to change and can change um, to bring in better income or, or help the farm and going along but um, equestrian seems to be the way forward, there's many horses and they're doing a great job there too. Yeah and great that they've got the facilities where you can uh, take the younger ones out without them being on the road because uh, you know what the public like <laughs> <laughs> to mode about some of the youngsters on the horses and bikes and things on the road but uh, plenty of miles of area where they can just be away from all the traffic you know if you've got nervous horses so great there and of course um, always uh, looking deep into you know the the ups and downs of farm and robert and his family as well there. and uh, 
you know, it's uh, always get to get good to get an honest opinion about how things are, really, from his point of view. That's it. It can look quite rosy on the outside, but when you get to the bones of it, it can be a tough business, agriculture. Mm, yeah, it's like a midden, I suppose, isn't it? It's got to be there, but uh, not everyone likes the, the, the sight of them in the yard, do they? Is it? Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, they're milling wheat on the subject today. We could have... Uh, made some sort of menu out of what we were talking about today, Kerry, couldn't we? We certainly could. It's nothing nicer than Manx produce, and we're always championing it here on Countryside. But these people are, are striving and working hard to produce it here locally, and it's equally as good as any of the imports that come in. Uh, working hard for not a lot of return, that's the trouble. That's the if trouble. I suppose if you looked at it per hour, mm. uh, you wouldn't be much in it. But there we go, they're taking, the, taking it on the chin and uh, going for it, and uh, you've got to take your hats off and, and admire them for the for the courage and doing something that I suppose is a little bit out of people's comfort zone till they, till you sort of get going with it. But uh, that's it. It's passion. It's driving it and striving for success, and they'll make it. Mm, good. All right. That's it for this week's program. We'll be back next week with more countryside. So from me, Simon Clark, and me, Kerry Kermit. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.